Good day and welcome to the ESPN Media Conference Call with NFL Draft Analyst Mel Kuyper, Jr. Today's conference is being recorded. At this time, I'd like to turn the conference over to Ms. Allie Stoneberg. Please go ahead, ma'am. Thank you, Beth, and thank you to all of the media members who have joined us this afternoon. I appreciate your interest in your time today. If you haven't seen it yet, Mel's NFL Mock Draft 3.0 was released this morning. It's available on ESPN.com. And Mel is here with us now to answer your questions. As you know, we'll do our best to get to as many people as we can. Please help us to keep this call efficient by skipping any personal greetings and beginning right away with your question. We'll start off with Ben Swanson at thedenverbroncos.com, followed by Jeff Shudell with the News Herald. Hi, Mel. Vance Joseph talked yesterday about how Baker Mayfield's height may affect him in the NFL. How confident are you in his accuracy translating to that next level in spite of his stature? His accuracy is not the issue, but it's more like can he throw through you know passing lanes and then uh, not have passes batted down. And obviously, there's been very few quarterbacks his size that have made it big in the NFL, but some have. And I think the obviously Russell Wilson emerging the way he did at five, ten, and three quarters, uh, you know, bodes well for the the body type of Mayfield, who's not lean. He's got that strong frame like like Russell Wilson. So the main thing is going to be can he continue to do what Drew Brees has done and what Russell Wilson has done, uh, and some other ones haven't been able to master once they're in the NFL. So that's the unknown of being six foot and a half for Baker Mayfield. We'll go to Jeff Shudell, followed by Dylan Anderson with KSL.com. And Jeff, your line should be open if you can hear us. Did any time Sam Donald's pro day uh, close the gap on Josh Allen, in your opinion, or did Josh Allen in his pro day uh, go further ahead? Yeah, I don't think anybody, any pro days help you or hurt you. If you, you go in with an idea of who you like and who you don't like, I don't think pro days are going to affect one thing or another. Now, if they're both pretty much equal, maybe just the aura that one has and the gut feel you have for one over the other. I don't know many pro days that haven't been outstanding for quarterbacks, and some of the ones that weren't outstanding, the guys turned out to be great quarterbacks. So even bad quarterbacks have had great combines so, and pro days. So I don't really put a lot of stock in pro days. Uh, if they did, uh, it would be pretty much a push. It would be like uh, you know, uh, affirmed and Allie Dar coming down a stretch with Allen and, and, and Darnold. They both did a really good job at their pro days. And if, I would hope going into that they had a pretty good idea who they liked one over the other, and if they did, nothing changed. So I don't think that affected anything uh, in terms of their decision going in as to what they, they came out of that with. We'll go to Dylan Anderson and then Kareem Copeland with the Washington Post. Hey, Mel. I'm wondering if you uh, or what you've seen from Fred Warner, the BYU linebacker, and where you think he fits into the draft. I think Fred is an underrated player. I've uh, you know, talked about him on a lot of different radio stuff that we've done over the last uh, couple months. I think he's got a chance to be a third or fourth round pick. There's not a lot of – that's the one position that's kind of – I don't think it's, when say it's weak. It's just not as deep as it normally is. And I think that gives him a chance. He's been borderline top ten overall at that position. And uh, looking at the, where these guys are going to come off the board, I can say I think third or fourth round is reasonable. He's got the ability to stay on the field for, for every down. And, uh, yeah, like I said, this is a great draft to be an outside linebacker. Kareem Copeland is up, and then we'll go to Josh Katzenstein with the Times-Picune. Hey, Mel, could you share some of your thoughts on that next running back tier after Barkley and, and any of the guys that kind of have um, – that especially have good value in your eyes? 
Well, I think it's a strong uh, second tier. I, I think you'll, and got, it's a variety of players there. Hines, the Naheem Hines from NC State, kind of a Sproles type guy. Uh, Rashad Penny, uh, versatile all around big back. Yeah, Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb, both from Georgia. Uh, Michelle, if he had a little bit better ball security, would probably be ahead of Chubb. But Chubb, uh, just from a consistency standpoint, even though Michelle finished stronger, may go a little bit higher. Carry on Johnson from Auburn uh, and Royce Freeman from Oregon. Kaitlin Balaj from Arizona State. That's a, a pretty good next tier. And of that group, the guy I like the best from that next year would be Nick Chubb, with Hines more of a wild card because he's so versatile. Josh Katzenstein is up, and then we'll go to Angelique Shangelis with the Detroit News. Hey, Mel, the, uh, the Saints don't pick until 27 and then not again until 91, but they have a big need you know, for a pass rusher. Just wondering how deep. You know, is this group of defensive ends, and do you think they can find someone in those first, you know, couple picks? Yeah, it's not real good. We talked about outside linebacker, uh, you know, being iffy, and the defensive end is, is very iffy early. Uh, I guess it's going to be two first-round defensive ends, but I think an underrated player, that I, there's a couple underrated guys. I think Breland speaks from Ole Miss. The more I watch that kid, I mean, he really impressed. Uh, he has a lot of versatility. They move him around. He's got he's got initial quickness. He's got you know he plays with a lot of strength and leverage. I, I think Speaks from Ole Miss could be a second or third round surprise. Uh, I've always liked Andrew Brown from Virginia as a three four end. I think Sam Hubbard could be a guy coming on a little bit from Ohio State. Uh, and Kylie Fitz from Utah had a phenomenal workout. So uh, there's some guys you can probably pick up in the fourth fifth round area uh, that may be able to help you. And uh, like I said, if Speaks drops to the third or fourth, I think it could be a really nice pick at that point. I think you could go second or third, but if he drops to the fourth round, I think you keep an eye on him as to being a productive NFL player. Angelique Shingelis is next, and then Christopher Walsh with SEC Country. Mel, how do you how do you evaluate this Mohurst situation? I mean, the EKG held him out, then it gets cleared. I mean, where where does where do you see him right now? Well, I think he gets back into the discussion for the first. It's up to the, the individual teams. I think Angelique to assess him and have their own doctors and their opinions. Uh, you know, he played like a you know borderline first round. If you take everything medically out of it, I think he played like a late one, early to mid two. Uh, at least that's how he projects into the NFL. It depends on your system. You want a you know, three technique upfield explosive guy, then you would look at that Maurice Hurst. So I think it depends on the scheme. I don't think he fits everybody. I think he doesn't fit everybody. So I'd say, yeah, I didn't put him in the first round in the last mock that I did, the one that's out today. But you know, we'll see moving forward. Still have uh, the, you know, the mock 4.0 next week and then the fifth uh, mock right before the draft. But I'd say borderline first, uh, depending upon team to team how they view it. Christopher Walsh is up, and then Brian Costello with the New York Post. Thank you. Um, Mel, among all the Alabama guys, between Combine and Pro Day, if, if uh is there anyone who you think has really helped themselves, and has anyone really hurt themselves? Well, I think on the flip side, I think Fitzpatrick and, and Ridley, uh, yeah, just down a little bit with the, the explosive testing not being quite as good uh, as maybe some people thought it would be. I think Averitt, the cornerback, has helped himself uh, get into that second or third round discussion. Uh, like I said, a cornerback position, he's got a chance to be in that second tier, and if he is, he's a second round pick. Uh, you're probably going to have right now, you know, when you look at the cornerback spot, uh, you got the award going very high, uh, Denzel Ward from Ohio State. And after that, it's kind of a, between Josh Jackson from Iowa would be 
be in that next group. Jair Alexander from Louisville, uh, Mike Hughes from Central Florida, and then uh, you go to where Aver could be in that second round discussion. So I still have Ridley in the first. I have Ridley do Atlanta, and I still have obviously Mink in the top ten, but not you know quite as high. And a lot of what had to do with Mink dropping to nine was the four quarterbacks getting all pushed up into the top five. That pushed everybody down. So it was Minka not testing great, and then obviously the quarterbacks getting moved up affected him. And Ridley, just because he didn't test great in terms of the explosive test, ran, ran well, but didn't test great overall with the explosiveness. Uh, that's why D.J. Moore from Maryland is putting a lot of pressure on Ridley to see who will be the first receiver taken. Next up is Brian Costello and then Donald Hunt with the Philadelphia Tribune. And I'm going to read this question from Brian. Mel, with the success of Elliott, Gurley, and Fournette in recent years, do you think attitudes have changed about drafting a running back early? Well, no. If they're, if they're, I think if they're rated high, they're going to go high, and that's what happens. They're not getting forced up. These guys were all highly rated players uh, coming out, uh, so they weren't any surprises. Um, you know, surprises were like the third round pick of Kareem Hunt and, and Alvin Kamara, based on where they went. They played like top ten guys, so that's why I always say running backs you can find. Uh, but you know, as far as Barkley, Barkley's great. Is right in line with Fournette, Zeke Elliott, Gurley. And we always forget about Trent Richardson. Trent Richardson had a super high grade coming out of Alabama, and he was a major bust for two teams, for Cleveland and for Indy, who traded for him. So it's not like it's all perfect at the top. Uh, Richardson was the last big-time bust of the running backs that went in the top five. Next up is Donald Hunt, and then we'll go to Ryan Tice with thewolfpacker.com. Mel, how you doing? Listen, uh, DJ Moore, can you talk a little bit more about him and where do you think he might go in the draft? Donald, I, I, I love the kid. I've been talking about him all year, and I get the ding every time I mention him because I'm in Baltimore, and obviously with uh, with DJ Moore being a Maryland Terrapin. But you got to forget all your – I don't lack objectivity with Maryland. I'm not you know sitting here saying I'm a, a huge Maryland Terrapin football fan. Now, they're different. That would be Notre Dame. Notre Dame's the school I follow the closest of, as, as a fan of, I guess you would say. But I think that DJ Moore's been spectacular. All these different quarterbacks, four different quarterbacks, puts up numbers, makes plays in bad weather. doesn't matter. He tests off the charts. Um, you know, he gives you versatility. Um, I think, you know, he's a first-round pick to me, and I have him won the Jacksonville at 29. I could see him possibly even going a little bit higher than that. We'll go to Ryan Tice and then Ricky Labou with TechSideline.com. Hey, Mel, thanks for doing this. Uh, it sure. seems like NC State's in position to have four defensive linemen drafted this year. You've got Chubb going number six right now, but where do you project each of those four guys to go? Well, that's a good question because they're all going to go. And I think when you look at, at B.J. Hill, uh, I have him right now looking at Washington maybe at pick number 44. They were soft in the belly last year. I thought about giving him a defensive tackle, and I gave him Vea. If they don't take Vea, then B.J. Hill would be a second-round pick. Now, if they take Vea at 13, like I projected, they won't go for the defensive tackle there. Say for the Chargers. I have them taking Deron Payne. If the Chargers didn't take a defensive tackle there, they could take one at pick number 48. So those are two teams right there. If they don't go defensive tackle or early, they could go, like I say, in round two very easily, uh, go for a defensive tackle with that kind of capability. And then you look at at, uh, at Street. Street's got a chance, I think, to be a third or fourth round pick. Uh, and I would say you know, Jones after that, right in that third, fourth, fifth round area. But I think Hill comes off the board next, then Street and Jones kind of equal. Next up is Ricky LeBlue, followed by Austin Fox with the Wolverines. Thank you, Mel. What are your thoughts on Tremaine Edmonds and Tim Settle's draft stock as of late, and 
as you've watched those two guys, have there been any other Virginia Tech players that have really stood out to you? Yeah, I think in terms of those two, uh, you know, Edmonds hasn't really projected quite as high as maybe thought he would. Uh, I think what affects Edmonds is to be such a freakish talent, you expect more dominant play week in and week out. And I don't think teams necessarily saw that, even though he had over 100 tackles and he made a lot of plays and he shows a lot of versatility. Uh, I think they just, I think the numbers maybe, the, the freakish numbers maybe worked against him in that regard. He thought, he thought he'd be Lawrence Taylor out there, you know, just, you know, making plays everywhere in every game and it wasn't the case. That's why I had him drop and down to 12 uh, to the Buffalo Bills. Roquan Smith from Georgia has moved a little bit ahead of him. In terms of settle, I liked, I think I got him in there before anybody else did in terms of once he decided to come out and looked at him. I, I think he's a top 10 caliber defensive tackle. Big body along the interior, decent quickness. I'd say third round, though, it was where I would think he would come off the board. And Edmonds, the brother, you know, you think about the safety, uh, Gerald Edmonds, uh, with his in the workout numbers, he's still, you know, developmental safety, but uh, with his numbers and uh, his potential, uh, you, you could see him coming off the board in the third or fourth round. Austin Fox is next, and then we'll go to Bill Rabinowitz with the Columbus Dispatch. Hey, Mel. Uh, Mason Cole obviously played both tackle and center at Michigan, mm-hmm. but uh, what spot do you think suits him best in the NFL? It's going to be center. I think uh, you know his arm length is going to preclude the tackle spot. I think it's center. He's yeah. He could, you could argue. I don't think he's going to be in the top three coming along. I think James Daniels from Iowa, Billy Price, Ohio State, and Frank Ragnow from Arkansas would be your top three, and they're going to go very early. I think Daniels is going to probably go first round. Price, if it wasn't for the torn pictorial, uh, he'd probably be a one. He's now going to be a two. Ragnow is probably going to be a two or a three. And then uh, Justin Scott Jessenberry from UCLA had a great workout. He and Mason Cole. I mean, they're the next. Uh, next centers that are in line coming off the board. So I would think I'd say third to fifth round for Cole uh, would be a, a decent projection for him. Next up is Bill Rabinowitz followed by Matt Wenzel with MLive Media Group. No, you kind of answered part of my question, but um, you have Denzel Ward as your only Ohio State player at today's mock draft. Could another Buckeye go in the first round? Maybe Hubbard? who for most accounts had a good combine, and, and you just said Price is a second-round guy. Uh, do you think he could stick in the first round, or would a guy even like uh, Jerome Baker? No, I don't really see any. I think Taekwon Lewis is, is kind of the hot guy in terms of moving up a little bit. Uh, yeah, I think he's a guy who got through the process very positively and had his moment slash big-time ability at Ohio State, although none of those defensive line really played as dominant football that you expected week in and week out. Uh, kind of was an underachieving group considering they got so many guys like Holmes uh, as there as well. Uh, but I would think Hubbard's a solid two. I think Lewis could be in the second-round area very easily as well. Uh, Baker, I think, more of a three-four. Uh, but I think in terms in terms of the first round, Denzel Ward's going to go very high. I've been going seven to Tampa, uh, and I think uh, he's going to be, without question, the number one corner and the first cornerback off the board. It's just a question of, does Tampa, you know, they had Hargraves a couple of years ago, has been a disappointment. Do they go for the corner? Do they take the versatile guy in Fitzpatrick? Do they take the true safety in James? If they went a different route, then Ward would open up for the 49ers, uh, uh, you know, more so, I think, at nine. So I think seven or nine for Denzel Ward. Matt Wenzel is next, followed by Anna Logan with KGWN. Mel, Michigan State has had a player drafted every year since 67. Do you see that streak coming to an end this year, extending? And assuming Brian Allen is their best uh, shot, how do you think his performance at the Combine either helped or hurt his uh, draft stock? 
Brian's, you know, I think with the, the fact that he's just an overachiever, and I think that's just the way you view him as a guy that will, he's a scrapper, uh, he's in there battling every play, he's a veteran. Um, you know, you're going to get more out of him than I think a lot of people think. I think a, a backup type, I think that's the way he'll be viewed going in. Uh, but he could be, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he went undrafted, but I think in the sixth, seventh round area is where you would think he might come off the board. And I said, if you had to rank, say, if you had to say, where does he rank uh, right now in terms of centers? Yeah, he's ninth overall for me. His grade is very similar to the seventh center. So, like I said, with Cole and, and Kessenberry going in that third, fourth round area, I could see him getting drafted fifth, sixth, seventh round. But uh, he's, 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 uh, he defines what an overachiever is. Anna Logan is up, and then we'll go to Jason Galloway with the Wisconsin State Journal. Hey, Mel, you have Josh Allen going number one overall to the Browns. If you were in charge of this thing and sending him wherever you wanted to go, especially talking about his completion percentage, where could you see him going and, and why? I don't think the completion percentage matters anymore. I think that's 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 history now. Uh, I think that's it is what it is. I think people have moved past that. Um, you know, if you and from a positive end date, I think I think the people that don't like that number are going to never move past it. So he could do. There's nothing he could do. You saw during his workout, if you didn't like him. They, people were a little. It looked like they were cry because he was was doing a lot better than they thought, or you know, considering his so-called accuracy issues, he didn't show any of that during the combine or his pro day or the bowl game when he missed only one throw in the Central Michigan game or the Senior Bowl game. So he has made a dramatic improvement, and he's silenced all those critics who said you can't draft the guy in the first round who completes. 56% of his passes. Well, Matthew Stafford was at 57%. He's been 66% the last three years in the NFL. You think about Brett Favre. Brett Favre, nine of his last ten years in the NFL was over 60%. He was at 52-4 coming out of southern Mississippi. And the reason I mentioned Stafford and, and Favre, because that's who Josh Allen draws comparisons to. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, if you like him, that 56-2, plus he's going to have, a, if he goes to Cleveland, he's going to have a year or two to sit behind Tyrod Taylor. Whoever goes there is going to sit for a year or two. We'll go to Jason Galloway, followed by Jason Leisure with the Palm Beach Post. Hey, Mel, I wanted to get your opinion on a couple of the Wisconsin outside linebackers, Leon Jacobs and, and Garrett Dooley. What, what, what are their chances of getting drafted, do you think? And do you think maybe they benefit a little bit from uh, Wisconsin putting a few good outside linebackers in the last couple of years? I don't know if that helps. I think it gets you attention. I think Jacobs' workout numbers are excellent. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy late in the draft you look at because I think he can play at various roles, special teams being very important. Dooley, I think, showed some promise coming off the edge uh, and gives you a, a great intensity, great enthusiasm for the game. Uh, probably more of a backup type. We saw what Beagle last year was able to do and, and come into the league. We knew what Watt would be. So I think the attention that those guys get certainly is, is a plus because of the history of that position. But uh, I would project them both as day three type of picks. We'll go to Jason Leisure, followed by Mark Potash with the Chicago Sun-Times. Mel, if you were the Miami Dolphins at number 11 and you cannot get one of the top four quarterbacks, what would you do at 11, and then how would you address the quarterback position between looking at maybe later round guys this year or holding off and addressing it next in the next draft? Yeah, you don't know what's going to be there next year. I mean, Drew Locke uh, out of Missouri, Clayton Thorson, Northwestern, you don't know how that group's going to develop. Uh, you don't know. I mean, is there a Brian Lewerke, Michigan State? You don't know what that group's going to become. Uh, these guys were highly rated coming into this year. Even 
have that in mind. They just didn't come out of the blue and magically appear. So I think you look at, at Miami, Derwin James, the safety from Florida State, would make a lot of sense. You don't want to force the quarterback pick at 11 unless you feel Lamar Jackson's worthy of being that high a pick. I'm going 15 to Arizona. Uh, if you're looking for a second or third round quarterback that's intriguing to me, it would be Kyle Lawletta from Richmond. He would be the most intriguing second or third round type of guy, followed probably by Mike White from Western Kentucky, and the guy that in the fifth, sixth, seventh round could be interesting. And if you put him on a shelf for a couple of years, it would be Chase Litton from Marshall. Had he gone back to Marshall and had a big year, he probably would have been a second round pick. Now you can maybe get a guy like Litton in the fifth or sixth round. Next up is Mark Potash, followed by Brooke Pryor with the Oklahoman. Mel, if the, if the Bears just don't want to take a guard at number eight and stay there, what are their options at that at that spot in the draft? And if, if they is there, is there any chance they can trade down and still get a guy like or get Nelson, kind of like you know DeCastro falling in 2012? That's not happening with Nelson. The DeCastro scenario, even Hutchinson, when he came out, was a mid-first. That's not happening with Nelson. Uh, Nelson, if you get him at eight, uh, would you be satisfied to get the second? Some people think he's the best player in the draft. I mean, yeah, right up there at, at number three behind Barkley and Chubb. I think Todd has him at two, jumped him up, I believe, way up. Uh, at least he told me he was going to do that. So I, don't, I think he was a two now. So I have a three. So you're talking about one of the best players in this draft, getting him at eight. That's what you want. If you're picking eight, you get the number one, number two, number three best players in the draft. You're ecstatic. Plus, he fills a need. Plus, he maybe can play tackle. And he's helping out your quarterback, Trubisky, who needs that inside pressure is the toughest thing on any quarterback. So I don't know how you pass on Nelson if he's not there. And you're certainly not trading down thinking you're still going to get him. That's not going to happen. And if you took somebody else, it would probably be the Roquan Smith, a linebacker from Georgia, or Tremaine Edmonds, a linebacker from Virginia Tech. Next up is Brooke Pryor. And then we'll go to Greg Ostendorf with the AustinTigers.com. Hey, Mel, Baker Mayfield's projected to be a top-five pick, but is there any concern that he could be distracted by everything he's got going on off the field with things like his pre-draft documentary and all those other kind of off-the-field things? Well, I think as a team, they have to assess, is it going to be too much, I wouldn't say drama, but too much too much of the antics and, and lack of, you know, he's focused on, that's the thing about the NFL, you can't just be focused on game day, he'll be focused all year, and, and certainly, uh, you know, with, with Baker, Baker brings a lot of that kind of so-called drama with him, some he creates, some just now follows him because he's, he's done such great things at Oklahoma, but that's part and partial to be a quarterback in the NFL, you're going to have people always around you, and you're going to have a lot of uh, things kind of t- pulling you away from what you're doing. Doing, but uh, I think that's something he's going to have to navigate through. I mean, that, that's one of the concerns with Baker May. In addition to being six foot and a half, there has been that one off the field issue. There has been the antics, and then there's bring he brings with him some drama, uh, some of which, like I say, that's uh, just he's not part of. That's just basically being a quarterback in the NFL. Uh, things happen, so I think uh, you know. I think there's there's some risk reward there, obviously, with Baker Mayfield. We'll go to Greg Ostendorf and then Dylan Monts with the Ames Tribune. Hey, Mel, I'm curious about some of the Auburn players in this draft. You mentioned Kerryon Johnson earlier. Him, Carlton Davis, also Braden Smith had a really good combine. Um, just, just kind of where they may project. Yeah, I think Carrion could be a second or third round pick running back. I think Braden Smith is a very underrated player. I liked him as a third or fourth round type of guy. And I think Carlton Davis, with his length, uh, he's in that second tier of corner. So I think he could end up being, I'd say, maybe a two, no worse than a three. So I think, and at least Smith, uh, you know, Johnson, and Davis are all going to come off the board in a similar area, probably sometime on day two. 
We'll go to Dylan Montz and then Alex Byington with the Decatur Daily. Hi, Mel. I just wanted to ask you about the couple Iowa State guys. Uh, did Alan Lazard, what, what kind of fluctuation could you see with him uh, based on what he did with his 40 at the Combine? And then Joel Lanning, is there any kind of fluctuation maybe with him and, and what you kind of view as his prospects? Yeah, I think Joel Lanning, Shaq Griffin, uh, that Central Florida, those are kind of, they're two guys you want on your team. Uh, you know, Griffin, for obviously, there's so many things. He's so inspirational. Same thing with Lanning, the quarterback turned linebacker and the great things he brought to that football team in terms of leadership and dedication. So I think you know, just having those guys on the field, practice field, locker room is a big plus for your football team. In terms of Lazard, I, you know, a big-bodied receiver with great hands and ran well, tested well. Does he get separation, though? Is he going to be like last? Latimer, Cody Latimer coming out of Indiana, who didn't get great separation. It went in the second round to Denver. It was a disappointment there. Now he's moved on in free agency. Um, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Our cornerback's going to be in his hip pocket. Now is he going to be a, you know, a fades in the end zone, you know, go in the, in the red zone area? Can he do that uh, with his size? You would expect him to be able to do that. The thing with him is going to be, is you, are you looking more at Cody Latimer or are you looking a little at Alshon Jeffrey or somewhere in between? We'll go to Alex Byington and then Mark Gaughan with the Buffalo News. Hey, Mel. Uh, I know um, a lot of talk has been about Minkin Fitzpatrick from the Alabama defensive backfield, but hey, can you kind of give your evaluation to some of the others? Ronnie Harrison, uh, you, you talked about Averett earlier, Levi Wallace and, and Tony Brown. Like, where, where do you see them going and your evaluation of them? You know, Levi Wallace tested better than I think people thought. He's the former walk-on who, who Nick raves about. And, uh, yeah, I think late in the draft for a guy that can make your – another guy, make your football team and be a real asset just because of his attitude and his approach uh, would be a good thing. Tony Brown's got a ton of talent. You know, we know he'd be one of the fastest players in the draft, and he is. Uh, if he can become more consistent, I think you could have to have him. He could be a factor as a third, fourth corner. Uh, I think Ronnie Harrison is a safety. You know, when you look at this group, he's been back and forth between the third to the fifth highest rated safety. Now he's the fifth highest rated safety with Bates from Wake Forest jumping up a little bit and Justin Reed from Stanford jumping up just a little bit. So uh, I think Harrison has a chance to be at worst, I'd say at worst, a third-round pick. We'll go to Mark Gaughan and then Robert Gagliardi with the Laramie Boomerang. Mel, how do you see, uh, what's your view on middle linebacking, inside linebacking candidates with some speed and range outside of the first round? Well, I think uh, there's a few that would fit into the category of being guys that can you know, handle that role after the first round. I think Oren Burks from Vanderbilt, uh, I think Darius Leonard, South Carolina State, now you can project them inside or outside. Micah Kaiser, Virginia uh, would be another one. Uh, Christian Sam, Arizona State. But I think Leonard and Burks are the ones that kind of got my attention in terms of their ability to get down the field and cover, turn and run, uh, and do the things necessary to be on the field for every down. And they've added weight. Both those kids have added weight to their frame, and I think they're going to fill out a little more once they're in the NFL. Next is Robert Gagliardi, and then we'll go to Rich Samini with ESPN.com. Mel, in your mind, what, is, what has Josh Allen really done well to, to improve his stock and his overall performance going back to the Senior Bowl and the Combine and everything? And I think, is there any other Wyoming guys on your draft board that maybe have a chance to get drafted? 
mean, Josh has done everything. I mean, uh, there's nothing he can't, he hasn't done. I mean, he went to every, he didn't have to play in that Central Michigan game. He did. He didn't have to go to the Senior Bowl. He did. He didn't have to throw at the Combine. Darnold didn't, and he did. So, uh, you know, and he had his pro day, and he did what he was supposed to do there. So I, I don't see where, you know, I understand if you think, and I've had this debate with a lot of people, and it's not about one player this draft, but he could be the first split pick overall. So I understand all the attention. But this whole 56.2, he only threw through the ball one time the last two years over 32 times in a game. Most of the games he was at 25 to 28 attempts. So it's, it's not going to be, he's not throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game. And he's not have, he doesn't have the layups that some of the other guys have had. So like I said, if he would have completed four or five more passes a game with the so-called layups, uh, you'd have been looking at his number one pick guaranteed. So, uh, And he's the only one. He's the only draftable Wyoming player that I have right now. And it's ironic. He could be the number one pick, and they may not be another Wyoming Cowboy drafted. Next is Rich Samini and then Adam Kilgore with the Washington Post. Yeah, Mel, in your last mock draft, you had the Jets at six taking Baker over Josh Rosen, and this time you had him taking Rosen and passing on Baker. I'm just curious to what went into that decision. Just what you hear, Rich. That's all. It's just you, know, you hear different things from people around the league and and Rosen. At the time, you say, okay, he's NFL ready because of the system he played in and three, five, seven step drops and how intelligent he is and all that. But you know, it's not going to be a case where the Jets need that. The, none of these teams are going to need their guy to be ready right away unless they go beat out McCown Bridgewater, just like what happened when Trubisky got the job when he, you know when Glennon was struggling or when Russell Wilson beat out Matt Flynn. I mean, things going to happen, Rich, as you know. It's not the best laid plans. On Wentz got the job after. Bradford got hurt. Wentz was supposed to redshirt his first year. So all these guys were supposed to redshirt. Will that happen? Who knows? It depends on performance and then whether the starter or the veteran can stay healthy. And then can he get the job done, which Glennon didn't, and that's allowed, was allowed Trubisky to play when they thought he would be have to wait until year two. So, uh, yeah, like I said, the Jets moved up to the third spot, gave up three starters. Two second round picks and a second round pick next year. You know, three starters to get the third best quarterback, which is a hefty sum to pay, hefty price to pay, a lot to give up. And uh, obviously, they feel good about that third quarterback, whether it's Rosen, whether it's Mayfield, because I think the one and two very easily could be Allen Darnold, Darnold Allen, or maybe they think, hey, maybe Barkley goes two and we get the number two quarterback. So I think they feel good about the top three. They, they have to feel good, or you don't make this deal. I'm saying you're losing three starters. You're taking three starters off your football team to get a quarterback. Uh, and and they have to like three a lot to make this deal. Adam Kilgore is up, and then we'll go to Jesse Doherty with the Washington Post. Hey, Mel. I'm, I'm wondering um, how is the landscape of draft analysis and analysis kind of changed in the last decade or so? What do you kind of make of, of the influx of, of, of draft, uh, quote-unquote, experts? And, and how has that changed your job at all? It doesn't affect me at all. It's great to see. Like I said, when you get, uh, you know, when there was all the, the sarcasm and the ridicule and the negativity about the, the draft and about who covers it, uh, you know, back in the day, I'm talking about the you know, late 70s or early to mid 80s, into the 90s, well into the 90s, uh, before it kind of turned. Now you don't hear any of that anymore. So, so that's kind of satisfying. So nobody's getting criticized anymore. There's none of the, the commentary. So it's negative about why do people do this? Who would care about that? wasting their time doing this and all that garbage. So I think that all went by the boards, which is, like I say, it's great to see all these people have inter- you know, blogs and sites and draft this and draft mock drafts everywhere. To me, I just sit back and say, wow, that, it's, it's pretty impressive to see what's transpired, which justifies what I thought back in 1978 when I started in this business. 
We'll go to Jesse Doherty and then Andrew Hobner with KTWO ABC. Hey, Mel, saw that Christian Kirk was not in the first round of your latest mock draft. What does he need to prove to teams in the next month or so to possibly become a first-round selection? Well, he had a, a year where the quarterback play obviously was a factor. He did have some uncharacteristic a drop, uh, you know, of, of some passes that were catchable. A couple that I saw, but you know, he's got a great attitude, tremendous approach. I mean, he loves the game. He, he's passionate about the game. Works hard to develop his talent. Slot receiver, return man like him, he could go late first. I, I would have almost gave him to Philadelphia like I did in Mock. I gave Dallas Goddard there to tight end because they lost, you know, Burton, and I think Goddard would fit what they're looking for there. Uh, I have right now. I'm looking. At round two, I think a good spot, a good landing spot, could be Chicago. Uh, it would be a good spot. You know, Taylor Gabriel's there, who's a good veteran to learn from. Uh, you know, and that's a good opportunity there. He catches the ball. You know, he can be consistent. Now, obviously, he had too many drops in Chicago, but I think if you look at Kirk, when he's with a quarterback like Trubisky, I think that would be a nice uh, place to land. So I'd say early, I'd say early second round, maybe late first, but more early second round. Andrew Hobner is up. And then we'll go to Scott Petrak with the Chronicle-Telegram. Hi, Mel. It seems that Josh Allen has one of, if not the highest ceiling among these current quarterbacks, but still might not be a day-one starter in the league. With that being said, is there any possibility teams might trade up out of the fear that Allen won't be there at picks one, two, or three? I think trading up, you know, to get him uh, if he was available. I mean, the Giants hold the second pick. They could take a quarterback. They could take a running back. They could take an offensive guard. They could take, uh, you know, trade down. So I think that's a spot. The Jets obviously went up to get a quarterback. Cleveland at four. If, if say, if Barkley was gone, that the Giants could trade out of there. So if you had a quarterback, which you will at one, a quarterback at three, then you could trade with Cleveland to get that third quarterback at four. Uh, I don't know for sure if Denver's going to get a quarterback, take a quarterback at five. They may look at Quentin Nelson uh, or Chubb. So I think you look at at, uh, at the options there in terms of trading out would be the Giants, Cleveland. They would be a two and four possibly could be a spot to get to. Uh, and in terms of you know, like you say, being ready, John Elway wasn't ready his rookie year. Steve DeBerg was the one who had to come in there against Baltimore early in the year to get that win when Elway was struggling. And we saw Troy Aikman and Steve Walsh when they went at it early on. Everybody thought Walsh was the better quarterback than Aikman. Look how that turned out. So I think you just go back into the history of this game and they expect quarterbacks to light it up as rookies. A lot of them don't. And it uh, doesn't mean they're not going to make it big. And I think for these quarterbacks, it's like back in the day. It's like the way it should be. None of these quarterbacks in the first round, and if there's five, they, none of them will be expected to be the guy right away. So how, who's more NFL-ready than the other? No reason to ask that question this year. Scott Petrak is up, and then we'll go to Zach Rosenblatt with NewJersey.com. Mel, can you compare Chubb to Miles Garrett, how you had them both ranked coming out? And if Chubb's still there at number four, could you see the Browns putting those two guys together? Yeah, Chubb's a great player. I, I loved him all year. Um, I had him highly rated from the get-go. I, Dave Dorn came on with us on the radio and loved and said, hey, he sprints on the practice field every day. He's a tone setter for our defense. He tested great. Uh, everybody said, well, he's got to run under four six five. He did. Um, so he fits everybody. Uh, every scheme that you want, he would fit. Um, and he's the second-best player on the board right now in terms of my rating. So you get him at, at six or get him at four would be a, a really good pick, whether it be for Cleveland uh, or for uh, for Indy. Uh, but for Cleveland, you have Ogba. Um, 
you have, obviously, Miles Garrett, who was spectacular when he was healthy. Uh, he's not as highly rated as Garrett was. Garrett was, was one of, you know, once every 10 years or every five to 10 years, you get somebody like Clowney and Garrett. That, that, that's a rarity to see players like Clowney and Garrett come along. But Chubb's not that far behind. Uh, but, you know, he's not in the Garrett-Clowney mold in terms of having that elite grade and be kind of that freakish guy that you say, wow, he's got to be the – that was the case, you know, he'd be a little higher up the board than he is. He'd be at number one. Uh, I have him at two. Maybe some people have him at four or five. I don't know about that. But I think Chubbs would be a really good pick for the Colts. They would have taken him at four, actually at three. They picked up three starters by moving down, and they still get the guy they wanted. And even if he was gone, they could still get Nelson, Quentin Nelson from Notre Dame. So the, the Colts right now made the best move you've seen in the draft in a long time. They, they still get the player or that you're looking at, or one of the two or three players you're looking at at three. So to get those guys at six and get three potential starters out of that, out of that whole deal was a pretty amazing. Zach Rosenblatt is next, and then we'll go to Sarah Ellison with the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, hey, Mel, the, the Eagles have a need at safety, at least in terms of depth. Uh, is, is there any guys, and they don't have picks in the second and third rounds, obviously, is there? And even the later rounds that you see as, like, a guy that could develop for a year or two and to eventually replace someone like Malcolm Jenkins? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there are some guys that would fit into that uh, category. And uh, the guys, I think, and you look at, you're talking about later in the draft. You're talking about, like, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. I think there are, you know, a number of guys that would, depending upon whether you view them as cornerbacks or safeties. I'm going to give you a couple names. I think you look at, you know, a guy like Kaiser White, West Virginia. He could go third or fourth round. Marcus Allen, Penn State could go fourth or fifth round. A Godwin Iguabikwe from Northwestern could go four to six in that area. So there's going to be some guys. Guys that dropped down a little bit at that spot that uh, that have a lot of ability. Equal BK uh, tested off the charts at the combine. Sarah Ellison is next, and then we'll go to Brandon Foster with the Casper Star Tribune. Hey, Mel. All the talk in Baltimore right now is wide receiver, and rightfully so. But Joe Flacco also needs a pass catching tight end. Is uh, is number sixteen too much of a stretch for one of the top tight ends like Hurst? And if so, who could be available in the middle of the second round? Yeah, I do think 16 is a little too high for for a tight end. Hurst or or Goddard uh, would be the two. Hurst uh, and Goddard pretty much one and one a at the tight end spot. I've Hurst going to New Orleans at 27, Goddard going to Philadelphia at 32. So I wouldn't take it at 16. I'd go more of the right tackle. Uh, if you want McGlinchey, uh, McGlinchey who I projected there played right tackle and played great a couple years ago. Moved to left tackle and struggled. Colton Miller played left tackle. It showed great great potential. Uh, tested really well. Maybe they feel like he could possibly possibly play right tackles. They could look at Colton Miller, uh, but get the offensive tackle there. And maybe Mark Andrews from Oklahoma. Mark Andrews was a great pass-catching tight end for Baker Mayfield. Basically a glorified you know, tight end slash wide receiver down the field, you know, averaging over 17 yards a catch. Real good in the red zone. Mike Gesicki from Penn State tested great. Uh, great pass-catching tight end. Not much of a blocker. Neither is Andrews. Jordan Aikens from Central Florida is another kid. Uh, you know, They moved around there a lot. He's a little overage. He's a, you know, he's, you know, he's a baseball player, so I think any one of those three in the second round would be uh, would be a good pick, but Andrews, uh, Gasicki, or Aikens. Brandon Foster is next, and then Adam Grossbard with the Dallas Morning News. Mel, uh, Josh Allen's evaluations overall this offseason seem to have risen a lot. I guess, did you have him at number one at the start of the offseason because you kind of anticipated him doing all these things so well, or did you think that he was already the number one there without, you know, needing to see those things? He's been up 
there pretty much all along. Uh, you know, right in that top, the rating hasn't been any different between Allen, Darnold, and Rosen going into the year. Mayfield was the one jumped way up. Mayfield had that, that third round area type of grade, second, third round area grade. Uh, so of the top four, Mayfield was a surprise to get in that mix. Uh, I think that the top three were rated high all along. It was just, you know, whatever week you saw one, you jumped them up a little bit, or if there was a concern, once Rosen got hurt late, that bumped him down because that was the second straight year he was hurt. Uh, Arnold, you know, Allen got hurt against Air Force, but did come back against Central Michigan. You want to see how he finished out the process. And Darnold had his struggles. Uh, you know, he looked like in September, I saw him against Texas and Stanford. I said, I even went on different radio shows and different sports center shows and TV, radio.com. I said, he's the number one guy. This guy's a phenomenal quarterback. He's got to go number one. And then the Washington State game, the end of September on a Friday night, the Notre Dame game, the Ohio State game, all were games where you know, he was, I thought Rosen even outplayed them in the UCLA crosstown rivalry game. Um, so, you know, and then, of course, he, you know, he has that longer delivery. He had ball security issues. He's holding the ball like a loaf of bread in the pocket. He's got some things he's got to shore up there and, uh, and eliminate from a mistake standpoint. But Darnold and Allen, I think he merged as the top two guys. I would go Darnold, Allen, Allen, Darnold. Uh, right now I have him Allen, Darnold, then Rosen, then Mayfield. So I think it's, it, I'd say it's two little tiers. You have, you know, Allen, Darnold, then a little drop to Rosen, Mayfield, and Lamar Jackson right in that mix next. Adam Grossbard is up, and then Greg Beasley with KCWYTV. I've seen your latest mock draft. You've got SMU's Cortland Sutton still outside of the first round. What is it, in your opinion, that's keeping him outside of that first round evaluation? You know, I mean, you watch them. There was a lot of weeks where I was, it's always highlight on Sunday morning on ESPN.com, a player moving up the big board and a player that's under the radar moving up. And kept waiting for Sutton to have that, that breakout game against a good looking corner and, and John just, just exploit that corner and make plays. And yeah, he was good. He wasn't spectacular in some of those games. And, uh, you know, he was a little quiet at times where I thought he should have been a little bit more dominant on the field. Um, but he's got talent. There's no question he's got the ability to be a late one, early two. Uh, if he maximizes that ability, can he be like uh, the comparisons to Mike Evans were a stretch? But uh, with his size and his athleticism, he's got pretty good hands. Uh, I think you know, Sutton could be a really good player in this league. It's really up to him. But that talent that he possesses, if he's focused and he works hard, there's no reason why he can't be a very productive player. But I'd say borderline uh, you know, first-round pick. But I'd say right now, uh, right now I'm projecting early second. And if you look at a possibility for a team in the early second for Sutton, I would say right now – Maybe New England uh, in the middle of the second round would be a possibility. Cleveland uh, in the second round, they have two picks, one at 33, one at 35. Chicago's at 39. They could be looking wide receiver there. Arizona at 47 would be a really good spot. They they are really looking for a wide receiver uh, at that point. If they don't take one in the first round, I don't think they will because they think it's a little too high. So those are some spots, some landing spots potentially for wide receivers, and in particular, Cortland Sutton. Greg Beasley is up, and then Justin Ferguson with SEC Country. Mel, you've got defensive lineman Taven Bryan going to the Lions in your latest mock draft. Is he a guy who has helped himself with the combine, and how much higher do you see him rising? You know, I thought about giving him uh, to some teams in the top 10 to 15, but, you know, he's not a nose tackle, and that's what some of these teams were looking for. You know, he's a guy, he's an upfield guy. You know, he's a 4-3, one-gap penetrator, uh, three-technique type guy. He's, people compare him to J.J. Watt. That, that's 
because of the freakish talent. The production of J.J. Watt was unbelievable. The production of Taven Bryan, considering his talent, is somewhat disappointing. But if you watch him in a Texas A&M game, you think he's a top-five pick. If he could sustain that performance week in and week out, he would have been a top-five to ten pick. So he's one of those guys. He's a roll of the dice. You're basing it on talent and physical and athletic ability. You know, why he didn't produce better results, that's the if. That's the reason why he's at 20. On talent and ability and potential, he should be a top-five pick. Uh, he should be right up there with him. Then with J.J. Watt was in the top 10 to 15, guaranteed all along. There's no reason why Brian shouldn't be. It's just the lack of consistent productivity as to why he's going to be around that possibly a pick number 20. Justin Ferguson is next, and then Mike Morechko with ESPN West Palm. Hey, Mel. Someone asked you about a few Auburn players earlier. I wanted to ask specifically about Jeff Holland and where do you see him going and what would be a good fit for him at the next level? Yeah, uh, he's one of the outside backers who's in the top ten. He's actually at number ten. He's at a similar grade to Josh Sweat at Florida State and Jerome Baker at Ohio State. But you know, Holland, you like the production. Is, does he close all the time like a cat off the edge? That's a little inconsistent for me. Um, I thought, I'm thinking maybe third to fourth round area. I'm not probably going to put him in the second. I'm doing a second round mock for next week, Todd and I are. But I would probably say third to fourth, third to fifth for Holland. Uh, but the production this year was, was excellent, no doubt about that. It's just, you know, can he translate? Like we saw at Auburn to the National Football League, and that's why I think he drops maybe into day three. Mike Morechko is up, and then Evan Barnes with the Memphis Commercial Appeal. Mel, is there a quarterback that you look at uh, with Adam Gase and think is either a particularly good fit or not good fit, you know, regardless of pick they would get him at? And also, if the Dolphins don't go uh, quarterback in the first round, those other positions like safety you have today, uh, where is the biggest drop-off that if they don't get someone in the first round, whoever they would look at, you know, rounds two, three, four, would be a bigger drop-off at that particular position, safety, offensive line, whatever? Yes, safety, I would say, you know, after um, James, Justin Reed from Stanford will be, I think, in the late first-round area. I talked about Ronnie Harrison from Alabama earlier, and then at no later probably in the third round. Uh, and after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off. So it's not a great year for the safeties. I mean, Deshaun Elliott from Texas could be a decent fifth-round pick, fourth-round pick in that area. Offensive line overall, I think, is pretty strong at, at the tackle and guard, uh, particularly inside if you're projecting some of these centers to guard or, or tackles to guard. Uh, I think that could be the interior of the line could be pretty good. Uh, tackles, okay. Uh, I think there's a little bit of depth there. And there's some mixed opinion on some of these guys, like Brian O'Neill from Pitt, really good athlete, needs to get stronger. But in the second, third round, he'd make sense. Des Harrison, West Georgia, going to be some mixed opinion on him. But, uh, yeah, I think there's some talent there. Quarterback-wise, I would say Lawletta from Richmond would be a, a guy who would, I think, with the way he just goes about his business, watching him at Rick, Richmond, watching him down at the way he played at the Senior Bowl, and it just didn't seem to be an all of anything. He just fits in, he goes out out there, he competes, and the level didn't bother him about coming out of the 1AA rank. So, and that's a great conference at the 1AA level, that Colonial Athletic Association where Richmond plays. So I like Kyle Lalletta. That's a, that's a guy I think in the second, third round could be viewed this year as this year's version of Jimmy Garoppolo. Evan Barnes is up, and then Tyler Paul Mateer with the Norman Transcript. No, thank you so much for your time. Uh, just a couple questions. Sure. Um, how much can Anthony Miller improve his stock with being healthy for pro, for his Memphis Pro Day next week? And then what are your thoughts about Riley Ferguson and Jannard Avery after how they looked at the uh, NFL Combine? 
love. I think Memphis is going to have a chance to have two really high picks. And I think Anthony Miller, uh, I'm thinking second round. Uh, he, you know, he's going to he's a, he run, he's going to run well. He's going to be a guy I think people are going to be really become enamored with uh, him as we move through uh, the rest of the, the next two, three weeks. Uh, if you look for teams, I mentioned some of the teams that could be looking for a wide receiver uh, in the second round. And I think he would fit that mold. Uh, I think that's where he projects to go right now. Buffalo would be a team that I think would be a good pick for him at 53 in the second round. Uh, so I think he would. I think Avery, uh, I mean, he tested great, made a lot of plays. Uh, I would think at worst third or fourth round for Avery, and he's a guy with the arrow pointing up. Uh, right now, as far as I'm concerned, and I, like I said, the latest ratings I just did last week, uh, as far as inside linebackers, he's the fifth highest rated guy, and he's it, the, the guy at four is Leighton Vanderish from Boise State, who's got a first-round possibility. So uh, it wouldn't be out of the question if Avery went in the second round. It wouldn't shock me uh, if he went in, that, in round two. And certainly for Miller, I think he's going to go in round two. Tyler Palmatier with the Norman Transcript is up, and then Ryan O'Halloran with the Florida Times Union. Hi, Mel. Uh, Jeff Bidette is a kind of a lesser-known receiver from Oklahoma due to some of his numbers from last season, but mm-hmm. he ran a 4-2-7-40 at Pro Day, and without much chase from OU this past season, how much does a 40 time like that realis- realistically help his chances in the draft? Well, it's it's a it's a huge thing. I mean, but that has talent. I mean, we knew that you know going into the year. And the receiver core this year, the, the kids like Deshaun Hamilton helped himself at the Senior Bowl. As did Traquan Smith. But if you get past the first ten, twelve receivers, he could be a guy that yeah, as, as a guy that you know is going to give you the potential to be a fear factor down the field threat. If he can become a guy who can you know control that speed, come out of his break a little quicker, all the things that you need to do in the NFL that they worked in college in order to get you know. Max Maximize your ability in the NFL. You need to tweak and work on. But when you have that kind of speed, not talking about first, second, third round. You're talking more fourth, fifth, sixth round. So I think he goes. I'd say I'll say go on record saying early to mid day three. Ryan O'Halloran and then John Monroe with PSJ Sports. Hey Mel, uh, two offensive tackles. One you mentioned earlier, Colt Miller of UCLA, and then Texas is Connor Williams. What do you like about their games? Well, I think first of all, Colton, uh, you know, really played well this year. I mean, you just go, they like, go to the tape, go watch the games. We'll watch Colton Miller play. He did a great job. You know, he's he's got he tested stronger than people thought he would with the 24 reps. He he shows tremendous speed and quickness for a big man. He caught that pass from Rosen. I mean, he's a guy that I thought you know he's got you know everything you want. Tremendous feet and balance and pass protection. And he's going to keep getting better. So I've had him as a first-round pick all along. I had him 12, as high as 12. Now he's a 21. Could have very easily you know, found the team earlier, but they didn't really need it desperately, that left tackle. And some of those teams have other needs ahead of left tackle. But you know, he's to me, is the best offensive tackle in this draft because he's a left tackle and he's got tremendous upside. Uh, and he's going to keep getting better and better. I think Connor Williams, you thought going into the year, might emerge, but he had the, you know, he, was, he had a rough game against Maryland to start, then injured, came back late, struggled a bit. Uh, he doesn't have the, long, the, the, the length, the arm length to be necessarily a great left tackle. He might project inside. Um, I think he's a borderline, for, I didn't put him in the first. I think he's a borderline for late first, early to mid second. Um, so, I, you know, like I said, I, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about Indy with the 36 pick when I do the second round projection next week could be a good spot for him. Indy picks at uh, 36 and 37. Uh, I think uh, at that point, Connor Williams may make some sense because, like I said, he may end up being a guard in the NFL. 
John Monroe, followed by Dwayne Rankin with the Montgomery Advertiser. Hi, Mel. Thank you for having me. Sure, go ahead. After a productive, after a productive career in the Big 12, uh, what is your outlook on James Washington, and uh, where do you think is his best fit uh, scheme-wise? You know, I look at Arizona to, to learn from Larry there. I think it would be a good spot for any of these receivers. I mentioned Arizona you know, with Cortland Sutton and, and Anthony Miller and Christian Kirk. DJ Chark from LSU is another one that could fall into that second-round mix there, uh, right around where they're picking at 47. I just think to have that, that a Hall of Famer like that and to be in that environment there uh, would be a good thing uh, you know, for a wide receiver like that. Like I said earlier, I think New England could be a spot looking for some help there. They, they pick at 43. Uh, and I'll say Buffalo as well. Uh, McCarron will be the quarterback uh, moving forward this year. They're obviously going to look to draft one as well. Uh, but uh, those were some spots, I thought. Uh, and, of course, Atlanta at 58, if they don't get a receiver in the first round, could. Uh, Carolina could. Uh, there's a lot of good spots there for some wide receivers. I think you're going to see uh, – I would project Washington solidly in the second. I think you're going to see five to six wide receivers come off the board. You're not going to have two in round one. Uh, but you could have very easily one, two, three, four, five. You might have six, five to six receivers come off the board in round two. Dwayne Rankin, followed by James Crapia with AL.com. Yes, Mel. You talked about uh, Ridley, and he's been all over the board on my draft. He's been in the highest top ten, uh, the lowest late first round. I know you talked about his testing. He wasn't as explosive on some of the drills. Uh, how much is what happened during the season turned him playing with a guy that's not a projected NFL quarterback playing into his evaluation? Well, I think it factors in. Uh, I think also for underclassmen, it's important to test well because you don't know what these computer numbers are until the combine. So that's why these guys have to know that and be prepared to put their best foot forward there. Uh, so I think you know, juniors get hit harder when they don't test as well just because that's the first time you see it. And if it hits home where the numbers aren't what you project, then say, well, you know, D.J. Moore had the great combine, and that affects him positively. And Ridley didn't compare to D.J. Moore numbers-wise. And you say, okay, what if Moore would have been at Alabama? You know, and Ridley would have been in Maryland. That's what you always need. Take more and say, put him in Alabama. What would he have been doing? Uh, you know, what would, what would happen at, with four different quarterbacks? You say the quarterback was an issue at Alabama. How about in Maryland? They had four different quarterbacks playing in addition to a freshman so, who started the year and got hurt. So uh, it was going to be really good down the road. But I think you look at, at those two, they're vying for the top spot at wide receiver. And I think both will go in the late first. I just don't see Ridley anymore as a top 10 to 15 guy. Remember, they were talking about eight to Chicago, maybe the Arizona at 15, Baltimore at 16. I think it's, it's not, it wouldn't be a surprise if he went in the middle of the first, but I'm thinking we're in that 20 to 32 range. James Crapia and then Sheena Quick with Black Sports Online. Mel, you've already gotten several questions on Auburn guys, so to change gears slightly, would you be willing or are you able to talk about the guys that are coming back potentially in the 2019 draft, or do you want to talk about the sure. round guys? Okay, so yeah, whatever you want, yeah. Mm-hmm. For, for 2019, I know it's looking way out, but because they have three defensive linemen who all project to be drafted in a Marlon Davidson, Dontavious Russell, Derek Brown, just what is your early assessment of their main three returning defensive linemen? 
Yeah, that is a phenomenal group. Um, that, to me, is like what we talked about with Ohio State. Clemson's going to have an incredible defensive line returning with all those kids. I, Clemson and Auburn are going to rival each other in terms of great, great defensive lines. Derek Brown is a, a, a unbelievable talent. Uh, he's the one that just jumped out. I mean, I circled him in it just about every game. I thought it was Derek Brown, Derek Brown. I'm looking at the circle. He is a guy that definitely jumped off the page. And just to go back to the guy who is here, Daniel Carlson, you know, could be the fruit of Panero at Florida, but Carlson could be the first kicker drafted when we get somewhere on day three. Uh, we didn't mention him earlier, but uh, I think uh, I think Derek Brown's the guy to watch. I, he's got rare, rare talent. I think that Auburn defensive front, as I say, will be along with Clemson, producing an awful lot of NFL prospects. Sheena Quick is up, and then we'll go to Matthew Fairburn with uh, Syracuse.com. Good afternoon, Mel. Thanks for having me on. Um, sure. There seems to be a difference um, in your, I guess, assessment of Lamar Jackson's accuracy versus Josh Allen. Um, how did you come to the conclusion as far as assessing um, both of those prospects? Well, I think in terms of the combine, uh, you saw you know Lamar being again in, in the area thrower um, as opposed to what Josh was, which you know, you know ball you know at six five two forty. Uh, you know Lamar's put on weight. You know he's gotten a little bigger. You know he's not. You know that his weight was. You know I compared him to Rich Gannon. Rich Gannon was like one ninety one when he came out of Delaware. Was six two and a half, and people were looking at Rich Gannon as a defensive back, wide receiver, running back. He went in the fourth round to a team, New England, who wanted him to play another position. He didn't. They traded him to Minnesota. He has. A, he always goes there as a quarterback, ends up being a really, really good quarterback in the NFL for a long time. Had some great years out there with John Gruden in Oakland. So I think he's that Rich Gannon type. And I'm like Rich, who was a fourth-round pick. He's going to go in the first round. But I think you look at the ability to, to make any throw, he can do that. He's just got to be, like I say, more accurate. And Josh kept getting better and better and had that great finish to the whole process, in addition to having that great bowl game when he came back from that shoulder injury, and he's 6'5", 240, and he moves tremendously well, and he had a high grade going into the year, um, and he's been great on the board, doing everything there, intangible-wise, as Lamar would do, but uh, you're still talking about the 15th pick. If he goes to Arizona, that's pick number 15. Uh, that's a, that would be a great opportunity. No different from what the other guys are going to be. They're going to sit, watch, and learn for a year, and in Arizona, he would be afforded that same opportunity, and if he went to Buffalo at pick 12, or Buffalo at pick 22, he would be afforded the same opportunity there because they have A.J. McCarron. So, uh, yeah, I think those would be two good landing spots for Lamar. He's got to improve his accuracy. That, that's a fact. He's got that 57%. Yeah, you know, they haven't seen any improvement off of that. Like I said, the combine, he was still all over the place with those throws. So that's where you know he's going to need some time and some work. He's got a great attitude. He's tremendously competitive. Uh, so I think Arizona or Buffalo uh, in the first round, where, you know, like I said, he's going to be no different than the other guys, on the shelf for a year or two, and then has to be the starter after that. Next is Matthew Fairburn with Syracuse.com. Yeah, Mel, I'm curious about, you know, how you would go about solving the Bills quarterback problem. You know, which of these guys do you think might be worth trading up for? And if they can't get into the top five, what do you think a, a realistic plan B would be for the Bills? Well, I think this. I think they have to decide how much of a difference is there between Lamar Jackson and you know, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Mason, uh, uh, Baker Mayfield, or, uh, or Josh Rosen. And then, of course, Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State, we haven't talked about much today, but he would be in that next tier as well with Kyle Law letter from Richmond and Mike White from Western Kentucky. So you have to decide. Do you want to wait till the second round and look at Rudolph or Law letter, uh, you know, or do you want to go, uh, in the first round and, uh, and look at a quarterback there and, and, and say, okay, what are we going to do as far as the quarterback position? Are we going to go, we're going to have a guy sitting anyway. I mean, yeah, let's say eight 
A.J. McCarron is going to be their starter. So do you want to go up and have to give up all what you're going to have to give up to go up to get one of those quarterbacks, the elite quarterbacks, or we can sit where we are and pick 12 or maybe 22, get them. Now, if you wait to 22, you could lose them to Arizona. Okay? I mean, Baltimore could be another team in the mix for a quarterback at some point. So you got Baltimore at 16, Arizona at 15. Could look at Lamar Jackson, particularly Arizona. So you might be forced because of that to think about him at 12. You just may, may be forced to. And if you wait to 22, maybe he gets there, maybe he doesn't. So I think Lamar, how they evaluate Lamar Jackson is key to this whole thing. Because, you know, you don't have to give up anything to get him. You got the 12th pick, you got the 22nd pick. You know, take Lamar Jackson there, don't give up anything. Or if you feel like there's a big difference between the top, the elite, down to where Jackson is in the middle of the first, there's a big gap there in terms of grade, then you go up and get your guy. So I think that, that depends upon their ratings board. We are just a minute away from 4.30, and unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for today. So thank you sincerely to you media members for your time, for your interest. Please keep an eye out for future advisories in the weeks ahead. Thanks so much for joining us.